Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Elevating Educators. We, knowing that school is about a few weeks away, have decided to talk about, by the way, I'm Ryan, along with Jessica. Yep, you know us. Uh, we've decided today to talk about fashion for teachers. We also have my hubby in the house today. He's going to have his own personal interview after this segment. But before we introduce him properly, we just want to pick his brain about how he dresses. Because, I mean, in my opinion, I think he's the sharpest looking guy well, in the field. Has, someone has a little bit of a biased opinion. I, mean, I would I'm, agree I'm with sorry, my Ryan. wife. So, <laughs> so um, Chris, tell the folks where you usually shop for men's clothing for the teaching field. So shopping can be tough, just based solely on cost, obviously. As teachers, we want to be able to get the most bang for our buck. We want to get a lot of nice clothes that look good on us, but also have enough money to eat and, live. and just survive. Right. And, you know. So the main place that I go to is Express. It's very pricey, but there are coupons that I get every single month that bring the price down considerably. So, for example, if you... If I spend 300 at Express, I'm really not going to spend 300. I'm going to spend 150. And that will be for four dress shirts, three dress pants, and things like that. Um, so I think when it comes to for me personally, Express is my place that I go to the most. But H&M's always really good. Their price points are much lower and they still have some nice clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think most men in the teaching field should dress like, even if they don't want to be an administrator, you want to look... Oh, absolutely. You want to look like you don't just play with children all day, right? You want to, like, look serious. Ter- termed weird. Yeah, <laughs> termed strange, but... Uh... <laughs> I didn't even realize. Like, I meant, like, you're not just hanging around in a pair of jeans right. and, no, and, and basketball shorts. And not that anything's wrong with jeans sometimes, of course, but you should have nice dress pants, a nice dress shirt, shoes. You know, you should be clean, obviously, and your hygiene goes into that as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna. I'm a big advocate of making sure that every single day you look the part. That that is very important. And, and I know it's important for everyone in any profession that you have, whether you're a lawyer or a doctor. You know, people are, especially us. You know, as educators, we work in the public sector. You know, we see parents every single day, and we represent those parents, and we work for those parents. And I think, as a even a parent myself, I would want my child to have an educator who cares about the way that they look. That they show the world. That they, they that they present themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. And I'm not saying you have to spend hundreds upon hundreds of dollars to do that. Sure. But it should be important to you. What about you, Ryan? How do you dress for media production? Oh, let's just put it this way. Uh, I'm on my hands and knees a lot with the wiring. Oh, you are? So? So I'm not... I, I get the idea of dressing up this whole... And I, do you do that? But for me, jeans sometimes, if mm-hmm. I know I'm going to spend a day fixing things, mm-hmm. I'm going to be in jeans. I'm going to be in a, like a polo shirt. Which I think is, which is very nice. Yeah, which is professional. I think... As long as your jeans don't have holes it can't in them. Be, yeah, it can't be jeans and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You no, know? And I've seen teacher, teachers do that. Do that yeah. I've seen mm-hmm. tons of teachers do that as well. Jeans and a t-shirt like on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. just randomly. And not, not just for men, but for women as well. Because right. I will tell you, I am not a suit and tie teacher. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I tell my and kids that's okay. that there's only two days a year you will see me wear a tie. The first day of school 
in picture day. If you see me in a tie uh, before then or someone else during the year, you know either I'm getting observed <laughs> or you know wink, having, wink. Yeah, or we're having some type of visit. What about graduation? Do you oh, go graduation. To... Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. the third day. And the thing is, I'm not a tie guy at all. He's I, not. And I will... I will wear ties, of course, especially like on the first day of school, um, meet the teacher when we mm-hmm. have an open house, things like that. Um, but for me, it's more of a, a very nice ironed button down um, with nice pair of pants and nice shoes. Right. So, yeah, especially for me working with kindergartners, you know, we, we're jumping and, and dancing and singing, you know, most of the day. So I also have to be comfortable as well. So a tie for sure would... Just feel stifling. Yeah, see, for me though, like the difference, like you, you talked about going to like uh, Esprits and H and M. I'm six one, three hundred pounds. Those clothes would not fit me whatsoever. Right. And so, it is a case by yeah. case for sure. So, do you know of any stores that would help for? Like I, like honestly, I'm. I go for. I hate to say El Cheapo brands, but I, I shop to Kmart. I go to Walmart. I go to Target, Coles. Mm-hmm. I've even gotten dress shirts for cheap from like Savers and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just because it's hard to find a double XL with my neck length that would actually like work and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like I go on the cheaper end, but it still works. Well, even places like Target, I've noticed Target size. is starting to like really step up their game mm-hmm. with clothing in general and providing a price that's even lower, you know, which yeah. is which is nice. I feel like I share your um, struggle, Ryan, with, because I'm a curvy girl. And so with my clothing, I like Target. I also enjoy Amazon, which sounds really crazy, but you can find, for girls out there, the cheapest midi skirts. They're like, I can find a midi skirt for like 15 bucks and I buy them in all different colors and just pair them with a t-shirt. And I magically look put together when it's actually very comfortable. Um, and I buy a lot of cheap dresses and just accessorize them with belts. Uh, for my curvy girls out there, I like to go to Torrid, which is kind of pricey like Express. But like my husband said, you can find coupons and gain um, hot money. Hot as in H-A-U-T-E. And... I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Hot. 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 Hot money. money. Oh, you need to work on your British Hot. Hot money. And I can usually, yeah, get stuff for about half off. Um, J. Crew outlets, Nordstrom outlets, those also have men's and women's business casual. And I'm really into pairing. I know leggings are bad, but if you wear them with a dress, obviously you're in dress code still. Uh, and always adding fun accessories, ladies. I'm a little weird with accessories, but I like fun earrings and necklaces. Just so parents think I take my job seriously. I don't want to show up in a sweatshirt and jeans when a parent is crying and needs to talk to me in my office. I got to look somewhat administrator-like. I don't know. Right, and I think this is the heart of the segment, really, is clothing... It does present a part of you. Mm-hmm. And because we work with, like I said, the public before, we should care about it to an extent. I'm not saying, you know, it should all that you care about. Teaching right. is the most, still the most important part of our job. But to be taken as a professional, we do have to dress like a professional. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's that's you know, that's where we get into the debate of 
I loved wearing jeans to school, but I better be wearing a very nice top button-up to go with it and shoes so it's not just casual Friday on a Tuesday. Right. You know? And I know um, because the husband and I both are in education, we can check each other in the mornings. Like, oh, that's a good... What are you doing today? Oh, this would be an appropriate outfit for that. Or, like, you know... Right. We always look at each other and make sure we look snazzy for the day. Perks of being married, I guess. And I was just going to say, though, since you mentioned Amazon, mm-hmm. perfect place to go to get Spirit Day clothing. Spirit Absolutely. Clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, any type of field day, Spirit Week, you yeah. can get a bunch of stuff on you there. Find, one time we had a Hawaiian day at my school, and I was able to get, like, a Hawaiian shirt. Right. Perfect for, like, uh, the day to keep it for luau's and stuff mm-hmm. and then we had 50 each day so i managed to find like a nice leather jacket it's awesome and it was nice and cheap and i still well costume jacket but right because you know teachers can't afford like a real one but <laughs> it's pleather <laughs> so if anyone um listening to the podcast wants us to link our clothing i can post a picture of me in an outfit and my hubby in an outfit and ryan in an outfit we can plug where we bought them from. All right, elevators. Today I have a very cool guest. He's actually the kindergarten teacher that we asked you guys to ask questions to, and he happens to be my husband. Please welcome. Christopher Houchins, the one and only. Woo! <laughs> you can say hi. Hi, hi. <laughs> um, so we asked uh, a bunch of different groups what you guys want to know from a kindergarten teacher, and so I figured the easiest guest to ask would be my hubby. So <laughs> my hubby. <laughs> my hubby. The first question uh, most of our listeners want to know which is a very standard question. What are the basic skills a kiddo should have before entering kindergarten? Right. So before I answer that question, I'll also talk about talk about who I am and like my credentials. Oh, totally. Can I? I mean, yeah. Totally. Tell the people who you are. Okay. Uh, so you work. yeah. So uh, my name is Christopher Houchins. I've been a kindergarten teacher going on seven years now, and before then, I was also in a preschool setting, and I spent five years or. Yeah, five years at Park Elementary, and then now I'm at Ortwine Elementary. Cool. And so, to to answer the first question, yeah. All right. So, to, so what I always tell parents when it goes to how you prepare your child for kindergarten, I'm not looking at any any of the academics. I know a lot of parents they say, well, they have to know their numbers, their shapes, their colors, and. Uh, really what I'm looking for is more of the social and emotional aspect of everything. So is a child able to share? Are they able to work together in a group? Um, can they be attentive for up to two minutes, three minutes, four minutes? Those are the skills that really get them ready for kindergarten. Um, my job is to teach color, well, colors, shapes, numbers, uh, reading. That's my job. A parent's job is just to make sure that they under, that to get their child ready for school, excited for school, and to understand that it's a place where they're not going to be alone. They're going to be with a lot of different kinds of people, and they have to learn how to work with those people. Well, how do parents prepare for that? Should they be putting their children in preschool? 
to, in order to learn those social emotional skills? So there's well, yeah, there's research that also contends that preschool is awesome for that. But I think just getting your child in social settings is also important. Going to the park for certain play dates, uh, meeting up with friends who also have kids. Any of those experiences will translate over to kindergarten. Um, but preschool, of course, is going to target all of those skills as well. Do you, this is just off the record, this isn't a listener question, this is a wifey question. Do you believe that all children in Nevada should be required to go to preschool? Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. I well, in Ohio, I'm from Ohio, that is a mandatory thing. And it's been mandatory for a very long time, or, well, kindergarten at least. In, in the state of Nevada, when I moved here six years ago, uh, I was shocked to learn that kindergarten was not mandatory in the state of Nevada, which blew my mind. Because uh, as far as I've known in, in Ohio, it's it's always you've had to go to kindergarten. And so I know a lot of politicians are pushing uh, preschool, mandatory preschool, which I am 110% for. Awesome. Did you have another question for him, Ryan? I did. I was going to say, though, just coming here as a kid and realizing when I was from New York, we had full-day kindergarten. Yeah. And coming here and just, like, starting out in school, like, in fourth or fifth grade, you see, like, kindergarten have, like, a.m. and p.m. kindergarten. And it's like, wow, that's really crazy. And then it's taking, like, so such a slow time to actually build it all the way up to full time. Right. And even, even five or six years ago, half day was pretty prevalent in the district uh but i know the district is getting away from it so full day is m- the majority of kindergarten classrooms across the district now which it should have been for a long time now um and i'm glad that the state is catching up in, in that regard i think a lot of it comes down to the read by three initiative that our state has passed where obviously if a student is not reading by grade level by third grade that they're going to be struggling for the rest of their academic career and that's where you see the SBAC scores come in so i i i see a lot of the SBAC third grade uh, initiatives getting uh getting making their way down to kindergarten now where you have to go to kindergarten or even preschool to be prepared okay so here's a question just speaking off of that uh when kids have no pre-k or preschool when do they often catch up Good question. So I always, every year, have students who didn't go to preschool, who uh, most of their time was spent with their parents. In those cases, they, they'll catch up by the end of the year. You know, the thing is, with students in kindergarten, they're at such a wide range. You have, you have some students who come in reading at a first grade level, and you have students who come in who don't know the difference between a number and a letter. And you'll be, I'm always surprised every single year when we hit May, where you have students who were struggling at the beginning of the year, they're now reading at a first grade level. And it's because at that age, students are so quick to learn when they have a good system set in place. So it's always different for each individual kid. And I know I have parents who are concerned if they don't take their child to preschool. They, one of the first things they'll say is, you know, I didn't, they never attended preschool. I'm kind of worried. And I always listen to them. But, you know, as long as they're getting support at home and getting read to, they're going to be fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, to follow up, you talked about differentiated kids. Some kids come in with, you know, first grade reading skills already. How do you differentiate for them? How do you make things more difficult for them, but then also scaffolded enough for the kids that need extra help. Right. So a lot of my teaching 
is in small group differentiated groups. So I usually will have skills based on what students need. So we what we call an education tier one. Tier one instruction is basically instruction for everybody. And that's my read alouds and things like that. But then we do center work where literacy centers and that's where I pull groups and that's where we're targeting higher level thinking and questions for those higher kids and also kind of bringing it down for the students who are struggling. So throughout the day, students are getting a mix of tier one instruction, which is meant for everybody, and then also tier two and tier three instruction, which is more individualized based on what they absolutely need. My husband's so smart. <laughs> I try. He's you might be smart because he's able to, like, I have sub, when I was subbing kindergarten, mm-hmm. like, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Like I, I'm staying. Far, I stay far, far away from elementary as close as I can. Right. I and, and that's the thing, though. I mean, I understand. For me, I feel that way about middle school, though. My wife, you know, my wife is a counselor for a middle school, and I would not be able to do it. Um, I love working with younger students. You know, that's just. I think it's more of just what you are, what you prefer to do. But yeah, I have a lot of subs who kind of run from kindergarten because it, it is tough. Uh, especially subbing for a day or two, but yeah, it's tough. So here's an oddball question um, that I'm just gonna ask. Do you have any stigma behind being a male kindergarten teacher? Is there, do you think that there's anything different that you're a male versus like, you know, mostly females are prevalent in that that role? I don't know if it's a stigma. Um, I actually think it's an asset. And so I have a lot of parents when they first meet me tell me how glad they are to see a male in kindergarten and someone who's been in there for a while and you know I've had nothing but positive experiences with parents in in regards of whether I'm a male or female you know my opinion is whether you're male or female if you're qualified for the job you are qualified for the job but I do know that certain kids do respond better to males and I've, I've had that quite a bit um, with parents where they'll say, you know, I'm so glad I have you because my child responds to males much better. Um, but at the end of the day, though, it's not that if I'm a male or, or a female, it's it's the structure that I put into the classroom. Right. So this is a big question that's been asked a lot, especially with surveys and everything. Is there enough recess for the kids nowadays? No. No, I mean, so at our school, we have about a 20-minute block to eat and then a 15 to 20 minute block to play at recess. But of course, especially near the beginning of the year where you're teaching all these procedures as kindergartners, that recess time gets cut quite a bit. Um, I, I am a huge proponent of extra recess because it, it does help students focus. Um, 15 minutes is, is not enough outdoor time for students. Um, I'm not saying they, they should be out there for an hour, of course, you know, but in my classroom, I know in a lot of other classrooms, we use Go Noodle, which is a which is an awesome resource to use to get the students up and moving throughout the day. Um, but especially when they're younger, kindergarten, first, second, movement has to be used almost all day. And you'll know, my wife will know when I when I come home the first couple of weeks of school, I'm beat because we are moving nonstop. Um, but I do, going back to your question, I do wish that there was some extension in, in recess time. A lot of parents have been asking how they can be involved, especially if they're working parents. How can they help you? So what I tell parents, if you want to help the classroom, you don't have to come into the classroom. 
you could always um, donate your time at home. If I send things home that need cut or laminated or things like that or organized, that's one way you can kind of help at home. Um, for me, though, the, the best thing to do to help in the classroom is actually reading with your child because, because reading 20 minutes a night, every single night, even on weekends, um, really will boost your child's academic growth and their confidence and that is helping the classroom in a way, you know. So a lot of parents who work a lot, I know they want to come in, and, and but my advice is always, you know, make sure that you and your child have an awesome relationship and you can build that relationship through books. And if you want to come in and you want to help with small groups, if you want to help decorate a bulletin board, I'm always open to that as well. But don't... I'm not. That's my job to help you. I know, my wife. If any extra ladies are coming over to help you with bulletins, I'm going to be like... It was just an example for other other educators who don't have a wife or a husband (laughs) who are not a mastermind at making things. I'm very territorial about his classroom decor. She is. Yeah, she helps me quite a bit. I've realized that from all your pictures posted on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I have a good vision, but she makes that vision come to life. Thank you. So... By the end of kindergarten, what should a parent expect their child to know? To know. So as far as reading goes, um, students should be reading at a beginning first grade level um, at the, by the end of the year. Most students actually will be reading higher than that, though. Uh, as far as like letters and letter sounds, they should have mastered all their letter names, all their letter sounds. Uh, as far as mathematics, they should be able to compose, which is addition, and decompose, which is subtraction, with numbers up, well, fluently up to five, comfortably up to 10, but we do add and subtract up to 20 as well. Um, as far as writing goes, we are writing paragraphs by the end, at least one paragraph. Some students are writing more than one paragraph by the end of kindergarten. Um, really, it's it's basically all of the Common Core State Standards for kindergarten. That's what they've mastered by the end of kindergarten. You and I have talked about this privately, but let's tell the listeners. Um, can you address the pros and cons of holding young kindergartners back a year? So, for example, like our boys, we have twin boys. They turned five in July. So right a late birthday. At a late birthday. What are your thoughts on holding them back? Or having them start. So I think it's an individual case by case basis. I mean, for for our boys, mm-hmm. I would have seen a lot of benefit for keeping them back one year, um, and not from an academic standpoint, from more of a social and emotional standpoint. Um, but there are a lot of benefits for keeping a child back one year if they have a late birthday. I've taught students. So for example, in my classroom last year, at the first day of school, I had one girl who was four years old. And she was not going to be five for another month. And then I had one student who was already six. And he had been six for a little bit of time. So in childhood, that is a huge range. I mean, you're talking about a year to almost a year and a half of developmental time. So these two students were vastly different in terms of their skills. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's case by case. Most four-year-olds who are turning five are ready for kindergarten you know even the ones who are squirrely or maybe have a hard time focusing every child has a hard time focusing it's it's not you know I, I hear that from a lot of parents where they'll say I'm concerned about my child's ability to focus that's just developmental you know at most at most you're you know five-year-olds can only focus five minutes at a time 
and then you lose them and you got to switch to the next activity so i think and you know your child best that's that's my that's my advice for parents you know your child best but don't be afraid to put them in kindergarten if they're a, if they're just turning five or going to turn five I mean, in hindsight, I wish we would have waited for the boys. Yeah. Because they had a really difficult kindergarten year. Yeah. Uh, behaviorally, but they're doing great now. But now they're doing great, you yeah. know, and they're catching up. And that's also a thing where I've had students in the past in kindergarten who struggled the entire year and were below level. And then they got the first grade and they were on level. And a lot of it is developmental. You know, it takes some time for other students to catch up academically, socially, emotionally. All right. Uh, we will now head on over to our elevation station questions. These are the same three. These are the three questions we always ask everyone who comes in. So the first question is, what is your dream school? My dream school is the school I'm currently at. I mean, right now, so I work at Dennis Ortwine Elementary. It's uh, it's a newer school. We were just, the school was just built last year. So we had our first year last year. Um, we have an amazing administration, an amazing uh, cast of teachers, staff of teachers and support staff. Um, it was our first year last year and it felt like it was our 10th year. That's how organized we were in our administration they were and how things just gelled together. Um, we've had a flood of compliments from parents saying, you know, I'm so glad that this school opened up. I love the teachers. I love, you know, every everything about the school. And when I started at Art Wine, it had a very special feeling about it. And I think part of it was because it was new, of course. It's always, it's always fun to go to a new school that was just built. But the administration gave us complete freedom to do what we wanted to do. And to have an administration say, you know, you're a professional I'm going to trust your judgment on this, and if you need assistance, I'm going to help you, but you take the lead. And I feel like every single teacher at my school takes the lead in their classroom. They're not told what to do. They do what they want to do based on professional judgment. I love that you said cast of teachers because it reminded me of Disneyland because they all they all call each other cast members right. and actors, and I think that's adorable. Well, it is sort of like cast. We have an, uh, an awesome music teacher, drama teacher, and we're actually going to be doing a production of Lion King this year. What? Like a production, a whole production of Lion King this year. It? I'm helping plan it and, and making sure everything's... I'm on the stage team. Listeners, this is the first time I've heard of this. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's been it's been under the works. For, it's in the it's, works. Yeah, in the works for the summer. But you know, to, but for example, to have an elementary school host a production of Lion King is big, you know, and and I'm very excited. It, it just shows that how our staff we're not scared to do big things, and I think that that's going to continue this year as well. So Sorry, I found I found my dream school. Yeah, that's really cute. Yeah, and sweet. Maybe one day. We can work together, and it'll be the dream team. Dream team. So who's your favorite teacher? Can be real or fiction, and why? Favorite teacher? I'm going to go with a real one. Um, when I was in college, I went I went to Kent State, which is in Ohio. Um, I had a teacher named Jan Wolf, and it was my second semester in the education program, and it was a class, it was a music class, how to, how to use music to teach literacy and math. And she would sing all the time, but her energy got everybody comfortable. 
And even to this day, I keep up with her life on Facebook. I've actually even had some moments to see her outside of college once I graduated, uh, when I went back to Ohio a few times. And she's really good at just getting you to have fun with teaching. I think it was the first class that I sat down, in education class, where I felt like this is this is fun. Like I, this is not work. This is something that I will enjoy doing for the rest of my life. And she had that energy. I mean, I, I won't forget it. So I would say Jan Wolf. Uh, she no longer teaches though. She she retired. She's not the avocado lady, right? No. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I think you're you're thinking of Heidi songs. Heidi Heidi, Heidi Buckus. Uh, so Heidi Buckus or Heidi songs is a is a very famous. Uh, well, musician, I guess, for, for classrooms. Fun fact, I got to dance with her at a conference a couple years back, uh, which was awesome. That's cool. But, yeah, I mean, she's not the avocado lady. Yeah, but, I mean, she sings, so I figured she But we did sing Jan songs Wolf. like that. Yeah, Jan Wolf. So that's my, my favorite teacher I've ever had. All right, so the third and final question. What is your favorite useless acronym or buzzword in education? I mean, there's so many, and every year it feels like we get tacked on with like 10 or 20 more. As far as... Like, it could be a word or an acronym. I mean, I think as far as like the buzzwords that come through, like rigorous, where it's just thrown around all the time. Of course, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to use rigorous. I, I mean, I think it's an awesome word. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think educators need to be told over and over again that their lessons have to be rigorous. I think that educators are professionals who know how to do that already. And I think when you use words like rigorous in certain contexts, it, it, it kind of just undermines the word. So I mean, I know educators are going to kind of feel this one, not so much parents maybe, but I would say rigorous is a word. I love the word, but it gets thrown around a lot in education. Um, so I would pick that one. Was, my word. was it your word as well? Oh, See, mine was rigor. Rigor, yeah. So we're no, mine was rigor. Your, yours rigor. was. Mine was rigor. I thought yours was differentiated. Differentiated is also a word. It's an important word in education. It's, important. it's a very important word in education, but it, it's also one of those words that gets just thrown around all the time. Right. Well, hubby, aka Christopher Houchins, we loved having you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Elevating Educators Nevada. Please remember that any rebroadcast, editing, or manipulation of an Elevating Educators Nevada podcast without express written consent is prohibited. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is ElevatingEDUNV. Or you can email us at ElevatingEducatorsNevada at gmail.com. Music for this podcast is carefree from Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening.